0: When we had originally scheduled uh, the commissioning part of our service, uh, I thought, oh, that's a great text for that. And uh, then when we had to change I was like, oh, that just stinks. Uh, but this is actually a good text for it too. So, um, so there will be that peppered throughout this. Uh, so, Verse 19. And I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be generally concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Let's pray. Father, we remember from your word that the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God will stand forever. So thank you for this adoring and reliable word. And as we examine it this morning, let us not forget that by it you examine us as well grant the Spirit to illuminate the Word, that we might understand it, that we might believe what it says, and that by your Spirit we would also live in accordance with your will and purposes that are found here. And we ask this in the name of the living Word who took on flesh, Jesus our Redeemer. Amen. Well, we've been reading about what uh, Walter Marshall called The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification, right here in chapter 2, uh, the, actually the beginning uh, or the ending of chapter 1, uh, this reality that we're intended to live as befits citizens of the heavenly kingdom, and we've talked about the pattern of Christ. Uh, we've talked about, uh, just last week, about how we're to do everything without arguing and complaining. Um, these three gospel motives, and yet still, if you're sort of like me, you're, you're struck and go, is this even possible? Does this, does this work, so to speak? And if we're reading this letter like the, the Philippians, they're probably thinking a lot of the same things. And that's when Paul does something that's quite unusual, he points to someone. He doesn't point to himself. He points to a young man by the name of Timothy and says, do you, do you want to know if the gospel mystery of sanctification is true? Look at Timothy and see that it is true. So we're going to look at Timothy today. We're going to look at this text, but uh, he is the person that in many ways is central to this text. But let's remember the gospel context of this text, that Paul has been writing to them that the Spirit works in them and therefore works in us in order to replicate Christ's pattern that we saw earlier in this chapter, this pattern of emptying himself and becoming a slave, this pattern of humbling himself and being obedient. That apart from the work of the Spirit, None of this happens. And the only reason that the Spirit works this in us is because of what Jesus has done in his emptying and his humbling of himself. And so this all brings us back to Jesus in many ways. So let's uh, keep that in mind as we look at this, because I can't always verbalize that as we go along. Our first question this morning is, uh, you know, if I'm struggling with who I am... Versus who I want to be or who God calls me to be, what does this say to me? If I'm struggling kind of with where I am in life, uh, what, what does Paul have to say to me here? And I think this is important because this particular paragraph is kind of bookended by, by hope. And it's, it's bookended by this notion of hope and trust for a very good reason. And I believe that reason is that Paul is likely discouraged. Why might I say that? Well, Paul lives in the same crooked and twisted generation that the Philippians did, and that you and I do. See? And sometimes persecution is part and parcel of living in that crooked and twisted generation or world that we we live in. And so we find Paul, as we saw in chapter 1, in prison. He writes from a jail cell. He's isolated. Uh, He has visitors, uh, but still there is a sense of isolation because you can't go visit anyone else. You're dependent upon everyone else. Paul is also facing charges uh, that could result in the death sentence. And so, uh, you know, Paul's not there for uh, six to five months. Paul's there and he might die in that prison an ugly death. And so, if I were in Paul's shoes, I would probably be discouraged. But it's not only that, we see that there is uh, pressure from the Christians in Rome that Paul also talked about in chapter 1. That there were some who preached the gospel with mixed motives in order to make life difficult for Paul in that prison cell. But not only that, but Paul knows of the conflict uh, that is taking place within the church in Philippi. He knows about Eudea and Syntyche and and how that's kind of overflowing into the rest of the congregation. And so... I would be discouraged if I were Paul. There's the recognition that the church is a community of saints, but it's also a community of sinners. And it's not just everyone else. It's also Paul, who is part of that community of saints and community of sinners. And so there's Paul's own sin that could contribute to the reality of discouragement And just as Paul struggles, it's inevitable that you too will at times struggle. And some of you are struggling right now. Some of you I know are struggling, and some of you I are struggling that I don't know about. But struggle is in this room. And so Paul talks about this. He starts off with the first part of the bookend, I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ... You see, Paul's hope is not rooted in his wishes, what he wants to take place, but I believe it's, it's tied primarily in who Jesus is. Because he's talking about, my, I hope in my union with Jesus Christ. That union with Christ shapes the hope of Paul, and it's intended to shape our hope. And, of course, if we, if we grasp with the reality or, or grapple with the reality that Jesus is great and gracious, we, remember, we will remember that hoping in Christ is a great place to be. While we might struggle, we recognize that our hope is not misplaced when it is in Christ Many of you are probably familiar with the famous line from *The Shawshank Redemption*, when Red says, "Hope is a dangerous thing." It is when our hopes are outside of Christ, when they're they're set in our own whimsical wishes and desires when uh, it's it's when our hopes are based on our understanding of our circumstances when our hopes are based on our understanding of the best solutions to those circumstances instead of our hopes being rested upon Jesus who is great and able to control all things and Jesus who is gracious and therefore works those things for our good even though those things in an, in themselves may not be good And so, while Paul might be tempted to discouragement and may actually feel it at times, we recognize that he believes his circumstances are in fact controlled by Jesus Christ, who loved him and gave himself for Paul. They're not controlled by Caesar, who doesn't care about Paul. Not controlled by church politics the folly, perhaps, of some of the people in the Church of Rome. This is important for us. I was talking with someone about rafting, and, I, and earlier I had mentioned a few sermons ago, talked about hope in that context, and talked about the life preserver, and I, and I realized oh, I should have communicated it this way. Um, back in the 90s, a bunch of us single adults had gone on a trip, and I led a bunch of us on a, a rafting trip on the Coe River. Uh, which is on the, the eastern border of Tennessee and actually was where uh, some of the Olympic stuff happened later on when the Olympics were in Atlanta. And so they told us, of course, you know, wear your life preserver and also uh, secure yourself within the raft. You know, you put your foot in the seat in front of you and all of that kind of stuff. That way you don't fall out of the raft, right? But if you do, you got your life preserver, right? So here we are going down the river. And he decides uh, we're going to go through some rapids and then go into a hole. And the hole is really supposed to be lots of fun because when you get stuck in the hole for a little bit, you spin around. Right? This is all good. Right? It's all good until Steve, in the midst of the rapids, hits a bump and now I'm dangling outside of the boat. But my foot is secure. (laughs) Okay, And so normally, someone would just reach behind, grab my life preserver, and yank me back into the raft to safety. However, because we were in a hole and had started to spin, if someone can't get me up soon enough, the water is going to pull me into the hole, possibly breaking my leg and doing worse things to me. And so that is when the guide, and this is all happening to me in slow motion, remove his leg and toss him out. (laughs) He He was, in a sense, trying to save my body and possibly my life by tossing me out of the boat, out of the raft. But the good news was, is that no matter what happened to me, the life preserver would bring me back to the surface. And so I had no worries because we were not in bad rapids. I was not going to get hurt by rocks. But nonetheless, it's scary being tossed out of the raft that you're supposed to stay in. And hope does that. That's what keeps us, discouragement will cause us to bob, (laughs) to go down, when when perhaps the waves hit us while we're floating in the river. But the preserver, the gospel of hope, keeps us, bouncing back up, coming back to the surface so we can breathe and we can be. And Paul, I think, understands this, experienced this reality because he starts this paragraph with that, and he ends with this as well about his hopes, but also ties it into the reality of, I trust in the Lord that certain things will happen. And so, His trust and his hope are rooted securely in Jesus Christ and not in his own wisdom and his own idea of what should happen. Specifically, he hopes, first of all, to send Timothy and there's a reason that he wants to send Timothy so that Paul himself may be cheered or encouraged by news of you. And so Paul is uh, hoping to send, hoping in Christ to send Timothy so that Timothy can bring word from Paul after this letter, but also then bring word to Paul from the Philippians. And so that this letter would have its good work done within the church, that Judea and Syntyche, for instance, uh, would work it out, and that the people would come alongside them and work it out, that the church would be in a much better place than it was when they received the letter. So Paul is hoping with gospel hope in terms of that. He's also specifically hoping or trusting in Jesus Christ that he will be cleared of the charges that have been made against him, and that therefore he will be able to himself come to Philippi eventually. Now, things may not turn out as Paul desires, but Paul knows that Jesus will work in those things for good. That Romans 8.28, which Paul penned, is still true, and he expects God to work those things for his good in Paul's life, not just the life of the Roman church. And so where do you struggle? Well, wherever you struggle, I want to remind you that Jesus sustains the struggling with gospel hope, not with vain, empty wishes. So that sort of sums up our first question. Our second question that comes to my mind as we look at this text is, well, why Timothy? Why would Paul want them to know that he is sending Timothy and then I kind of have a little, you know, kind of uh, rabbit trail question of um, would anyone send you as their representative? <laughs> Let's focus on the first of those two questions, but in the back of your mind, be thinking of that. Paul sends Timothy because he says, I have no one like him. Literally, this has this idea of like souls. Uh, they're they're same-souled, uh, would be another way of putting it. They're two peas in a pod. They're kindred spirits. This, fr- this word is used as well in the Greek translation of Psalm 55, verse 13. But it is you, a man, my equal. So that's that sense of uh, Timothy is Paul's equal in, in a variety of ways. Uh, not as equal in terms of office, but as equal in terms of what we'll see, Character. In other words, what Paul is about to say here with regard to Timothy is something that could also be be said of Paul himself, but Paul doesn't want to say it about himself. But he will be saying it about Timothy. Timothy. Does he say why? Why is there no one like him? He says uh, there's no one else like him, and he's using some hyperbole here. It's not like this is only true of Timothy and no one else in the whole universe, but uh, it is true of Timothy that who will be genuinely concerned for your own welfare. So Remember, Paul is genuinely, uh, uh, genuinely rather concerned with their welfare. And one of the ways in which Timothy is like him is that he also is genuinely concerned with the welfare of the church in Philippi. More importantly, he's not just like Paul. He's just like Jesus. Because if we look earlier in chapter 2, We see first the instruction, the imperative that they are to be concerned out of love, not only for their own interests, but the interests of others. And the example that Paul then gives is the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ, who became a slave, who was obedient unto death because of not his own interests, but because of the interests of others. That Jesus is the one who started this. Jesus is the one who's ultimately the model, and it is uh, the pattern of Jesus that is being replicated, not just in the life of, of Paul himself, but also being replicated in the life of Timothy. We see this theological construct in Romans 8, the very next verse, which talks about those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, which is the idea, conformed to the image of his son. And so the Spirit is at work to conform us, just as he con- is conforming Timothy, having conformed Paul to the likeness of Jesus, to the image of Jesus. And we see the same thing in Ephesians 4, this idea of to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so the Spirit's at work so that Timothy will will and work... In a way that reflects the true righteousness and holiness of God, he's being made like Jesus. And this is good. He's copying that pattern so that Timothy considers the interests of others. And Timothy was indeed concerned with their needs, and he brought Jesus and the gospel in order to meet those needs. One of the books that I'm reading right now is by Rico Tice, and it's a book on evangelism. And he mentions this. He says, It is only, oh, sorry, I'm only going to be effective in witnessing if I'm being someone who is actually interested in them as people. Someone who takes an interest in who they are and is concerned for their interests. A, a, a good evangelist, a godly evangelist, is one who is sharing because they are genuinely concerned for the welfare of another human being. And that was Paul. And that was Timothy. Because Timothy was encouraged to do the work of an evangelist, not just uh, the idea of a church planter. So, we see... That Paul contrasts this, and now again, this is hyperbole, it cannot be taken as an absolute statement, because most people, he says everyone, (laughs) all, we don't want to take that, you know, by meaning that everyone in the whole universe, uh, but people who have not been touched by grace seek their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. And that's generally true of people, that most people are self-serving that they don't have in mind the the concerns of Christ and his kingdom, but they have in mind their own kingdom, their own benefit, their own welfare. I have to look no further than my dog, Cody. He's not a person, I understand. But, I, but to me, he is just a living illustration of this, because Cody always has to be the first one out the door. Okay? As soon as you... Lulu might be right there with her nose ready. She's the one who initially wants to go outside, but Cody suddenly, because he knows you're going, he races across the the room and he darts out right in front of Lulu. He's gotta be first all the time. For Cody, life is about Cody. And many of us live that way, even if it's not as obvious as it is in the life of my dog. It is only Jesus who can pardon us of our sin, of, of this profound selfishness that, that twists us and warps us and perverts us. It is only Jesus who can work within us in order to, to help us to love people well. And so, um, Melissa and Stephanie, as we send you out, okay? Yeah, you started it. You initiated this, so to speak, um, You know, we didn't say who can we get rid of, but Melissa and Stephanie, out of here, okay? But I want to to remind you, I'm going to do this again. This is not just about going to a church that's closer to where you live. But our great desire is that, um, well, after you finish your master's, (laughs) if you ever finish your master's, You're you're consumed with this desire to serve the interests of others in that place so that they are growing in the gospel or coming to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it's not just about convenience for you, but ministry for you. Looking to Jesus so that you can love people better and better as time goes by. Paul returns to Timothy, or we return to Timothy. Paul was still there. You know Timothy's proven worth. They know because they know Timothy. Okay? He was part of the church planting team that, that started the church in Philippi. But this idea of proven character, his, his, sorry, his tried character, his proven worth, uh, they don't need to do an FBI background check. They know this man. And there are many that have spoken well of him, whose opinions are trusted within the church. We see when we first come across Timothy in Acts 16, it notes that he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra, which is where he grew up and lived, as well as Iconium, which was a bigger city, kind of next door, just a little, a few miles to the north, there in Asia Minor. And so when Paul took him onto the team, it was because those brothers spoke well of him. Paul, this is a guy that you could use. Paul, we're really going to miss him because he's an important part of our life here. And so Paul took him. And he joined the team and ended up in Philippi, and so they knew him. The Philippians remember Paul themselves, and they can vouch for Paul, uh, sorry, Timothy, <clears throat> rather, they can vouch for Paul too, that for both of them, there was no arguing or complaining with regard to the will of God. But they were men who met the challenges that they faced, the call to obedience, and, and like Jesus, they put their hand to the plow and did not turn back. And so we're reminded that reliable and responsible people are ones who have been tested by life, they've been tested by failure, and let me let me go back to that reality of the of the life preserver. Let's not think only of the initial response or, or or moments when when the challenge comes when the wave comes and you're pushed down, but does that person come back up that their their initial response to challenges uh, may be frustration, but we're looking at the movie, not the snapshot that's what's so infuriating sometimes in our public discourses, we, we look at the snapshots of things or people's expressions. And of course, you always get, if you don't like someone, you get the worst possible expression. You know, when, when, when Paul is thinking of Timothy, he's not thinking of the snapshot. He's thinking of the movie. Yeah, the wave got Timothy there, but guess what? Timothy came back up and he was smiling. He may have been scared, but now he's okay. And so we see that Jesus tests us to show that we are genuine, particularly in our concern for other human beings. So that's our second little stop, which brings us to our third kind of question, which logically, how did Timothy come to have this proven character? Well, it started, as we see in Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, with learning the Scriptures as a child. His mother and his grandmother made known to him the Scriptures, and that would, of course, have been the Old Testament. Okay? He was, as we kind of read earlier today from Psalm 1, someone who was planted by the stream and has, is now fruitful and growing. These scriptures, Paul says, made Timothy wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. I want to remind you, Melissa and Stephanie, that your lives are similar to his. You grew up in this church. You grew up in your particular families, and I know your parents, and I know they taught you the Word of God. I know they instructed you and, so that you would be wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. And so Timothy does not have an advantage on you in this regard. And that is a good thing. But here's the key. Timothy apparently allowed himself to be instructed by the Scriptures. He submitted himself to the Scriptures that's when we get back to that arguing, complaining thing, or the the, the grumbling, or com, or complaining. He didn't argue with God about the content of the scriptures. Now, like a good rabbi, maybe he debated with himself as to what do the scriptures mean, and that's a good thing. We have to make sure that we're rightly understanding the scriptures. But when we when we know what they mean. Do we receive it, even though we might not like it? That's what I'm getting at. That submission to the Scriptures, understanding them, and then going, that's not what I would have chosen, God, but I am a sinner. (laughs) And what you choose is right. What you say to me is right. And so it started with uh, this being instructed in the Scriptures, but it didn't end with being instructed in the Scriptures, because Paul says, as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. Now, this would be something that's probably more familiar to them than it is to us. Okay? Um, because, well, most people were in the family business. Dad didn't go off to work. He didn't commute down to Raytheon uh, or somewhere else. Usually he just went downstairs where the shop was or out into the fields. And as a uh, child, you often went with dad. A son would go with his father and he would learn how to work and what to do by being with his father. And so what's going on here is that Paul is saying that Timothy is like a good son to me. Proverbs 23 notes that the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in them. And what we have here is we have Paul as a glad father rejoicing in his son in the faith publicly as he commends Timothy to the Philippians, which he shouldn't have to do in the first place. But what is, what is required when you submit to learn a trade by working with your father? Well, you're also submitting to your father. You're taking advice and wisdom. You're learning new techniques. And maybe your dad doesn't know it all, but what he does know is pretty good, and so you learn. Served. Served could probably be better translated, slaved. It's got the same root as that, that word that we find in the servant hymn of Jesus or the slave hymn of Jesus. Now, let's, let's not make what Jesus did sound really you know, innocuous. He slaved. And so here we have that Timothy is slaving, so to speak, with Paul. He's able to do this precisely because Jesus served the Father or slaved with the Father for Timothy and Paul's salvation. And now Timothy is slaving with Paul for the salvation of others, not to gain their salvation like Jesus did, but to communicate their salvation and enable them to walk within their salvation. And we see within Scripture there's a lot of this mentorship that takes place. Moses had his Joshua. Joshua learned how to lead by being with Moses, being the assistant of Moses. And then when Moses died, he was the assistant no more, and he took over. We see the same thing from our our reading in 1 Kings this morning with Elijah and Elisha. I have no cloak to throw upon you, girls. But there's an apprenticeship that takes place. Jesus did this as well with his disciples, calling them to follow him. And so we see that the Holy Spirit works not only through the scriptures to create people of chosen, of proven character, but also works through mentors to to produce people of proven character. That's why later in the same letter, Paul is going to say, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He's saying, spot godly people, imitate godly people. That's what he's saying. That's part of how Timothy grew. He spotted a godly person. He began to imitate that godly person. Now, let's remember, let's go back for a second. Second Timothy 3. Part of what was read there was the reality of Timothy knew Paul's trials. And he knew how Paul responded to those trials. And that was part of how Timothy became the young man that he became. By watching Paul, imitating Paul, becoming someone at one with Paul. And so the Spirit will work within his people to lead them to follow the pattern of Jesus in part by serving under godly mentors, identifying people from whom to learn not simply theology, but to learn how to apply theology into the practical daily lives. Now, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I had to find my mentors elsewhere, right? And God provided for that. Young ladies, I think God provided some good mentors for you. Are they perfect parents? Don't tell them I said this. They're not perfect parents. (laughs) But they're good enough parents. They're godly parents. And they have, in many ways, set examples for you to follow and how to live as Christians in this world. And so that's part of how you grow, how you mature, how you become people of proven character. Timothy would also receive instruction and correction from Paul. And that's another one of these important things. Are you willing to receive correction? What gets in the way of that? Hmm. Pride thinking you know it all. Be teenagers no more. Teenagers are famous for that. I'm entering the years where I'm a complete idiot. (laughs) Pray for me that I make it until the days when I'm not an idiot anymore (laughs) in the eyes of my children. But there has to be a willingness to accept correction, to face the possibility that I don't know everything and I can learn. Paul and Timothy served together in the gospel. Okay? That was the family business. <laughs> it was evangelism, discipleship. And how to use the scriptures in both evangelism and discipleship. Paul was replicating himself in Timothy. And so we recognize that proven character uh, takes time and it takes effort in serving other people while you're submitting to Jesus Christ. In other words, another way of looking at this, the negative way is, um, proven character is not attained by pursuing selfishness or pursuing ease, but rather embracing the challenges of life and ministry as they come. And so as we kind of sum up that idea of how how does one become person of proven character we could summarize it as, as the spirit works so we serve in the gospel. Not by sitting in a recliner. So in the gospel mystery of sanctification the spirit uses means in order to make us like Jesus so that we have a servant's heart towards fellow Christians, as well as towards non-Christians when we do evangelism. And the Spirit will lead you to do that. He uses the Scriptures so that we're like trees planted by the stream, and that we grow strong and have deep roots and bear much fruit. And he uses the challenges of life uh, so that our hopes move from our empty wishes Uh, To Jesus and his promises. And the Spirit also uses mature Christians to develop skills as well as character. So, proven genuine, we become the type of people who can be trusted and relied upon, who are celebrated by those who know them well. Let's pray. Father, while we think of Melissa and Stephanie, this is not just about them. This is about all of us. All of us hearing the implications of the gospel and what you want to do in each of us, how you are seeking to change each of us. And we ask that this gospel mystery of sanctification would continue to play out as you work, so that we work. Help us to remember our dependence upon you in the midst of all of this. But even more, help us to remember your great willingness to help us. So that we don't come reluctantly, but we come enthusiastically because our Father in heaven loves us and our brother loves us loves us more than any earthly brother could, and is for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.